0: Welcome to the podcast from Central Congregational Church. Thank you for joining today. I hope this message from our church this week is grounding and inspiring, challenging and encouraging, and a helpful reminder that you are loved by God and called to great things. Thank you so much. Would y'all pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, so that whether it's because of me or even in spite of me, it would still be your word that is faithfully proclaimed and your name that is glorified. Amen. Just yesterday, I saw a snippet in, of an interview with a talking head who has actually been fired from many of his positions in various journalism outlets. But what he said, uh, after going on a tour of Russia and then to meet with president with the leader of Russia, Putin, uh, he said in an interview about the death of Putin's uh, main political rival: "Every leader kills." It's just the way it is." He said, every leader kills. It's a part of a job description of what it means to lead nations and lead people. Every leader kills. And when I heard it, to be honest, there was this sort of cynical part of me that almost wanted to not along. You know, when you look back on history, uh, we, many of us, on every part of the uh, political spectrum, celebrated when Osama bin Laden was killed. Uh, Many of us, when we read back through the Bible, we join in celebrating with the Hebrew people at the death of Goliath. Many of us, it would be easy to join in saying, every leader must, in fact, kill. There's a temptation about all of this that is really sort of troubling to me. And so I want to do uh, what I do uh, often is I want to go back in our human story as far as we can with our particular story. In the beginning of time, our origin stories tell us there was a moment when God created humanity and offered us Collectively, an opportunity to lead, to serve, to uh, reign in power over all of creation. And do you remember the stipulations? You can basically do whatever you want. You just need to care for the earth and you need to resist the temptation to eat from one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In many ways, that was the first test for humanity, and we see tests come up throughout Scripture over and over and over again. People are offered a test about how they will react to the parameters that God sets in place for humanity, and the first ones were very few. Just live and celebrate. Try to stay away from the one tree. I think most of us look back and we're like, man, what... Were they thinking? It's so easy to not eat from one tree in the middle of a fruitful garden where everything you could possibly want exists there. But if any of us really start to search our heart, we understand exactly what that temptation feels like. When given the world and told there's one spot we can't go, every one of us, if we're honest, wants to go there. If we're standing in a room with a bunch of buttons and one says, do not press, what do we want to do? I'm curious what will happen. So there's some really great work done by scholars about what that moment was. And basically, the, the understanding that most scholars have come to is that those first human beings had a choice to make. Do we trust in what God describes as good, what knowledge and life mean according to God, or do we need to define it for ourselves? And so we have this choice to make. Do we, do we trust? Do we submit, not subordinate, but submit to the mission, to the knowledge, to the wisdom, to the power of God? Or do we want to go on our own exploration beyond the confines of what, whatever this is just because I'm curious? And so humanity... In our origin stories and throughout all of time, we begin our own quest to figure out what is good and evil, what is just, what is merciful by our own standards. And so every generation ends up stuck in this cycle where every generation needs to define for itself what is good, what is right, and it puts us often at odds with one another. And you can see how easily we can get to a place where it's just the norm that every leader has to kill their opposition. You see how easy that happens. People start to recognize opposition. They gain some level of power. They align with forces against a common enemy. And then together they can easily decide that that common enemy should be wiped from the map. It's such an easy path that we go down. And it means that we're aligned with a group of people that all agree with us about how terrible that person is, whoever that person may be. And we start to align even more deeply, right? We see this in our political structure here in America. We see this even, it's interesting uh, hearing people uh, talk about their experience of like the Southeast and the Yankees, right? Like we've got this sort of weird us-and-them thing that happens regionally and culturally in our own country here, even though the world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller with the internet, we find ways to have a common enemy because of a shared story about how messed up they are. And that's the temptation here that all of us struggle with on a day-to-day basis. How do we live well with deep connections while not trying, while not becoming an enemy and while not creating an enemy in someone who isn't already a part of my tribe. So that happens throughout the Bible. We saw it with Adam and Eve, we saw it with Abraham. God chose the, uh, this one family, Abraham and Sarah, To walk in a different way than the rest of the world. And he does, they do a great job for a short period of time. And then suddenly, Abraham, out of fear of what the Egyptians might do to him, or out of fear of what this perceived enemy might do, he starts lying about the nature of his relationship with Sarah, about the nature of the walk. And then they together abuse a servant in order to gain their first child. There's All of these dynamics that just get in the way when people are unable, unwilling to trust in a bigger story that God's telling and start to take hold of what little power they have in order to force a story that feels right or correct or good. It happens with... The story of the Hebrew people being released from slavery in Egypt and their walk in the wilderness. They have nothing but trust for God when things are easy, but as soon as they step into the wilderness where things get scary and dangerous, God promises to be there with them, and yet still, they create their own gods, their fight between one another. They create their own idea of what they should and shouldn't do, and God's left standing on the mountain guiding them, wondering if he should start over with Moses. The cycle of our Bible is bleak and sad and hard. David, a man after God's own heart, right up until he sleeps with one of his general's wife and then sends him out to the front lines to die. Have you read your Bible recently? These stories are really hard, but they tell a consistent story, a consistent pattern about human beings, all of us, being offered simple opportunities to trust in God without needing to gain power over other people around us, trusting that there is enough for all of humanity to thrive if we could just stop treating one another as enemies, and yet we consistently do just that, find enemies, and find ways to kill them, silence them, belittle them, ostracize them, get rid of them, I think in part because it makes us feel safe, in part because I think it makes us feel powerful. In part because it helps us align with the people that we already agree with. We have this constant frustrating temptation to use, to abuse, to alienate the people around us. And so it's into this world that we all know too well that Jesus steps... And he comes out into the middle of the woods to hear from a legitimate crazy man, John the Baptist, who's standing on the outskirts of town at the Jordan River, which symbolically is important. The Jordan River is the last crossing that the Hebrew people made before entering into the promised land. So John the Baptist is calling the faithful people back to that transition point, from wilderness walk into promised land, and Jesus meets him there on the precipice of something beautiful and something different and something new, hearing the words, change your heart, change your minds, change your lives in order to step into something good. And Jesus comes not to Join in, but to to be transformed by it too. Jesus takes on this baptism the same way that any of us who are people of faith have taken on a baptism in order to step into this new identity as the anointed one of God, the chosen child of God, hearing echoes from Isaiah and Psalm 2 and Micah and all of these incredible prophets who have spoken about a day when God would tear open the heavens and come down to level every mountain that has grown too high and every valley that has grown too dangerous to make a clear path for everyone. And that's exactly what happens. The heavens are torn asunder and the presence of God descends into the person Jesus. And the very first thing he does is not create enemies, not alienate his, uh, the people who would be opposed to him, not try to align with a certain group over and above any other group, Jesus has the Spirit of God descend upon him, and he immediately goes into the wilderness to receive temptation. The same way the Hebrew people did, the same way that Abraham did, the same way that each and every one of us do, when we're stuck wanting to be aligned with a God of love, but living in a world where people can say and agree with the fact that a good leader just has to kill somebody. We're stuck. And so Jesus descends into this wilderness alongside us to understand the burdens that we carry on our shoulders, to understand what it means to feel alone in the midst of all of these cultural and political powers that are trying to just get us to align with them against somebody else. And Jesus steps into it being offered the power of the world, being offered the perspective of the world, being offered all of these things and rejects it all in order to step back in and offer us a new life with no judgment, no expectation, no alignment over anybody else, but instead willing to sacrifice himself as a leader of a new world taking on what true leadership means to be a servant of all, a lover of all, unwilling to be torn apart, unwilling to participate in the divided politics of his day or ours. Instead, inserting him in himself into every dangerous place, not to create a battle, but to offer new life for everybody who's been polarized by their experience of this life. That's the invitation that comes, not into something the Christian, our church's history, not this church's, but like the church, like big T, big C, the church. We've got a really bad history of taking Jesus's words and pushing them and molding them and mushing them into the language of our culture. Jesus refuses that. And so we stand here in the first Sunday of Lent with an opportunity to cleanse ourselves, to lay down our weapons, to see with a new perspective and join in the mission that God has set for all of us, which is simply to receive of an abundance that we have no control over. And trust that as we receive, others may receive too, and we might become blessings for one another, not enemies against one another, because of all that God is doing for all of us Not just for me, not just for you, not just for us, not just for them. God is creating space, always has been, for all of us to thrive. So I cannot, there is one exception to that quote. The good leader in Christ knows that there is no death that brings life beyond one who's willing to lay down his own life for the sake of all people's ability to thrive. And it's that leader that I put my trust in. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. God, for this mysterious blessing, we thank you. For this meal, we thank you. For this community that gathers, we thank you. For this simple yet impossible call, we thank you. God, we are so aware of how many different tides pull us in so many different directions. Deeply aware of the ways that we feel like we should be doing something to make a difference, to change. And yet also deeply aware that we cannot do it alone. So in spaces like this, gathered with people like this, we remember that we're not alone in this journey. That the wilderness may be vast, but we're accompanied by angels, messengers, to care for us, to love us, to lead us. So as we receive this meal in the wilderness, God, help us to remember from whom it came, not because of any skills or talents or passions that we bring, but because of a love that you show to us all. May that be the unifying force that changes the world as we bring our lives within it. God, we thank you for all of this and look for your continued leadership as we take our step through this desert on the way to what is to come as we lift a prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples so long ago, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and, and the power, power and, and the, the glory, glory forever. For Amen. You may notice that I'm like terrible at titling my sermons. Uh, it's often been the case that I get home and I'm like, I didn't talk at all about being alone. Uh, but the, the, the truth actually is very simple. When we're in the wilderness, we do feel alone, which is why we align around things that become violent. Because we just want someone to understand us. We just want someone to understand where we're coming from. We just want to be able to gather around our people and look out and be able to say, like, that one's crazy, not us. (laughs) Because it's lonely to be the crazy one out in the woods telling everybody that things can be better than they are. It's lonely to do that. It's scary to do that. It's frustrating to do that. It's why John the Baptist was arrested in the very first chapter of the book of Mark. It's radical to claim that there's a better way to do life when we're not at each other's throats. And so when Jesus is sent even further out into the wilderness from where he goes to meet with John. It's a beautiful clue. Jesus goes cast out, the same language that the Bible uses to talk about demons, being cast out into the wilderness, where by all rights he should feel perfectly alone. But it's in that loneliness It's in that desolation place that he recognizes that he's perfectly surrounded by the presence of God. Angels attending to his every need. When we can remove ourselves from the comfort zone of our own safe bubble, we might find that God is in all the places that scare us most and we are never alone as we walk down that path. So wherever you go from here, I hope it's to an informational meeting about mission trips. (laughs) But wherever you go from here, trust that the steps you take are not just, you're not alone in them. Every impulse that you have to resist the passions of this world is guided potentially by God. May you be cast from your place of comfort out into the wilderness where you might find the true depth of what life might offer to us when we're attended to by the presence of God more than by the opinions of a political pundit on television. Go from this place and from this time in an abundance of peace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this message, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing it with your friends. If you do share it, be sure to tag us so that we can join in the conversation. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at centralchurch.us. We hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you back again next week.